0: Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Today I am continuing our series in James and it's um, great to be handed over from Liz just now because Liz also brought a great word last week and I feel like I've been handed the baton at the end of a relay of a series of really great messages and um, I'm praying that this really lands with you today and we can carry on hearing what God has to say to us about how we live in the fullness of his grace. So uh, Sam if you could show the slides we'll read James chapter 5 together starting at verse 7 through to verse 12. Be patient then brothers and sisters until the Lord's coming see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear. Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Okay. Okay. If certain bits of that sounded weirdly familiar to you, it's worth noting that James is quoting Jesus directly for a lot of his material throughout the whole book. And it's not like he read the Gospel of Matthew and thought, oh, that's a good bit, I'll stick that in here. Because James was actually the first of the New Testament books to be written, a good 10 years before any of the Gospels were written. So James got this directly from Jesus. And to me, that matters because it gives me a real sense of James' authority, of him saying, I learned this from Jesus and now I'm passing it on to you. The bit of the passage that I really want to focus on this week is just the first two words where it says, be patient. This isn't just about how good you are at waiting, but about endurance through suffering and holding on through everything that the world has to throw at you. Is building on the very beginning of James, if you can think back to when Adam brought us chapter one in February, talking about joy and suffering. Now, suffering can come from three main places in our lives. Um, I'm just going to ask Sam to put up the next slide again. (laughs) Sorry, you've just taken it down. The first category of uh, suffering, where it can come from, I'm calling it uh, opponents, is encompasses people that we don't know um, people that maybe rub us the wrong way people that seem to actively work against us basically anyone that doesn't fit into category number two category two being our loved ones our friends our family the church family and then category three is the chaos of the world which is then everything else including suffering that we bring on ourselves because of our broken sinful nature um, yeah, anything else you can think of, okay. If we follow the breadcrumbs that James is leaving for us, I think he speaks to all three of these. Just as a quick disclaimer though, it's not always clear cut. Many situations will be complicated mix of these. I am oversimplifying for the purposes of communicating clearly, but with that disclaimer over, let's have a look at the first category, the opponents. So when we start to look at what James means by be patient, he immediately says what it doesn't look like. He says, don't grumble against one another or you will be judged. It seems like a bit of a leap in logic potentially. If we just pull on that thread a little bit more, we start to build up more of a picture of what James is talking about. If we look back just one more chapter, James says this, thanks Sam. He says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister, judges them, or judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. And there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You have to think, why would someone speak against someone else? Presumably, they've been wronged or hurt or cheated or had a disagreement of some kind. But when we grumble against one another or speak one another against one another, we put ourselves in the position of being their judge. Where does James get that idea from? Next slide, please, Sam. Jesus. He says in Matthew, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, you can take that down now, Sam, thanks. This is also a let him who's without sin cast the first stone kind of moment. Because as James said back in chapter 2, unless you've kept the whole of the law, you are no better than the person who hurt you. And Jesus doesn't teach this to put us to shame or to make us feel bad, but he teaches it to make it easy for us to forgive. It is very difficult to forgive someone from on top of your own pedestal. But when you can lower yourself and see that you are also just as imperfect as that other person, it makes it much easier to forgive them. Moving on to the second category, uh, those who we love. This category is the one that has the greatest capacity to hurt us. It should come as no surprise that we hurt one another in the church as well, because this is a family of massive diversity. There's bound to be friction. I think there's no accident, though, that James highlights grumbling and impatience together in this passage. There are quite they're quite specific character flaws that relate to a really specific time in Israel's history. If you think you might know what their story is, then tell someone that's in the room with you before I get to saying it. If you're the first person in the room to say the Exodus story when the Israelites were in the desert, well done. You can feel really smug. The Israelites grumbled that God had brought them out of slavery. And then while Moses was up a mountain receiving the terms of the covenant God wanted to make with them, they got impatient and built themselves another God. So this is choosing to view God's blessing as a curse. The very thing that God had done for them was the source of their complaint. Now in my life, as a parent of young children, I can tell you that they are an occasional source of frustration to me. And my children are wonderful. But that's part of being a child, isn't it? To be helpless and totally dependent and then to grow up a little bit and think you're independent when you're actually still totally dependent. I imagine they won't be any more trouble past their third birthday. But I can choose to view them as irritating drains on my energy and my money or I can choose to view them as God's gift to me. And when I choose the second option, I find that in that moment, when they pour bubble mixture all over the sofa, which literally happened this morning, my capacity for patience with them increases exponentially. I bet it was hot in the desert and they must have been hungry and tired. But if the Israelites had remembered that God had just rescued them from slavery through a series of incredible demonstrations of power over nature itself, they might have been able to respond differently to their situation. If we choose to view the people we love as gifts from God, as his provision in our lives, we find ourselves with the strength to forgive and cherish those people as we should. And finally, the chaos of this world. This is where James' reference to Job comes in. At a first glance, Job might seem an odd choice to demonstrate what patience looks like. If not grumbling is the mark of a patient man, I'd say cursing the day you were born is not a great start. And Job doesn't do much better for the next 30 chapters or so. But as you read through the story with Job's incredibly unhelpful friends, trying to persuade him to renounce God or he deserves everything that's happened to him, Job always directs his complaint to God. All of his pain and his confusion and anger are laid bare before God. here's a spoiler alert in case you haven't read Job yet. Job does get put in his place, but ultimately God declares Job righteous because he spoke the truth about God. And we have something Job didn't. We have Jesus. Job actually says in chapter 9, if only there was a mediator between me and God so that I could bring my complaints before you and we could sort something out. But since we have access to the Father through Jesus we can take all of our pain and suffering and confusion and anger directly to the one who can do something about it. Now suppose we actually manage it. Suppose we stop judging each other, we remember to cherish our loved ones as gifts from God, even in the hard times, and we bring all of our burdens to Jesus. What can we expect to see as a result? What does the life of such a person look like? This is where I have to say thank you again to Liz for last week, because you set this up brilliantly. Your weather analogy of moving from Dubai to England and how the unpredictability of the weather taught you something about making the most of every opportunity. Um, Sam, if you can just put up the beginning of our passage again. James uses a weather analogy here and we're taking it back the other way. So if you think about the complete unpredictability of English weather, and just take that back to the Middle East, you'll understand this analogy perfectly. Around Jerusalem, there's no rain at all between April and October at all. So when, um, that's the one. When James talks about uh, the early and the late rains, the autumn and the spring rains, it's, it's completely predictable. It happens pretty much the same time every year. So there's no rain at all between April and October, which means the farmers can't plow their fields until the first rain in October. And then the last rain of the season is super important for ripening up the fruit. And so the early and the late rains meant everything to farmers, but they were like clockwork. It was always gonna happen. You don't know the exact day when it's gonna happen, but you can say with certainty, It will rain around this time. Thanks, Sam. You can tell that down again. To steal Ben's analogy from a few weeks ago, apple trees grow apples. You know, if you sow grace, you will reap grace. And this is the upside down economy of the kingdom of God. The more grace you show to others, the more grace you'll experience at work in your own life. So um, we've looked at a few places where... um, suffering comes from in our lives. And I hope that gives you some practical ways of uh, dealing with it and, and where to take it and what to do with it and how to understand it. But um, I really want just want to pray. We've heard a few things this morning about approaching the throne room of God, and that seems to tie in with where we take our suffering. Um, so I just want to pray for us, really, before we go into our breakout rooms, um, that, yeah, God, would you just speak to people about pain that they might be carrying. Maybe it's a situation they're going through right now. Maybe it's something they've carried for a really long time. Um, we know that people that say they've been hurt by the church, that can really stick with people. I just pray that um, you would speak to that pain, that you would um, show people a way to navigate it, to bring it before you, to change it into a testimony of how you've worked in their lives.